Okay, Parshas Vayigash. And perhaps the most dramatic moment in the entire Chumash, Yosef reveals himself to his brothers. And the Torah tells us, Vayoymer Yosef Elechav, Yosef says to his brothers, Ani Yosef, it's me, I'm him, I'm the guy. Right? Ha'oido v'ichai, is our father still alive? So what was the response of the brothers? What did the brothers say to this earth-shattering revelation? So the Torah tells us, V'layachlu echav lanoisoisai. The brothers were dumbfounded. The brothers were speechless. They had nothing to say. They were ashamed. They were startled. They were frightened. The brothers said absolutely nothing. What are they going to say? What could they say? The Medrash comments on this. Abba Koyin Bardala Omar. Abba Koyin Bardala said, Woe to us. Woe to us for the day of rebuke. Woe to us for the day of retribution. Each and every one of us is going to have to give an accounting to the Rebani Shalaylam. And it's going to be a very frightening experience. Says the Medrash, Yosef Yosef was the youngest of all the Shvatim. And even so, the brothers had nothing to say to him. There's nothing they could possibly respond. The brothers were absolutely speechless. Says the Medrash, So when God comes, And He reprimands and rebukes each and one of, every one of us. According to the way that we are, all the more so that our response will be nothing. We'll have nothing to say. This is the famous comment of Abba Koyin Bardala. That if the brothers had no response to Yosef, when Yosef said, Ani Yosef When Yosef revealed himself to his brothers, the brothers had nothing to say. Says Abba Koyin Bardala, what a frightening thought when you extrapolate that to the way the Cheshbon will be after 120 years when God will come to each and every one of us and say, No, what do you do with yourself? What are we going to answer? Yeah, that's a good start. That's a good start. So exactly what is Abba Koyim Baradullah extrapolating from the brother's response to Yosef? I mean, is it going to be so much worse? Here the brothers sell Yosef into slavery, and they can't believe the fact that here Yosef is, he's the viceroy of Egypt. And somehow Abba Koyim Baradullah extrapolates from there that if this is the brother's response to Yosef, just imagine how shocking the experience will be for us when God reprimands us after 120 years. Says the Shaila Suchuvas Binyan Shlaimai of Rab Shlomo Hakoyin Mivilna. In the name of his brother, I believe Rabbi Tzalel Hakoyin Mivilna. Says like this Imagine if tonight, after the Shir, you go to McDonald's thinking that you're eating treif. And you know, you wash, you make a moitzi, and it's really good, it's delicious. And after the meal, the owner of the restaurant comes to you. I just want you to know, that wasn't McDonald's. That was Carlos and Gabby's. We tricked you. It wasn't really trafe. It was really kosher. Question. Did you do anything wrong? Do you need kapara? Do you need atonement? Yes? Yeah. But I didn't do anything wrong. It doesn't matter. I thought I was doing something wrong. And if you think you're doing something wrong, even though in actuality you're not doing anything wrong, you need kapara. Says Rav Shloyma Did the brothers do anything wrong to Yosef? No. They didn't do anything wrong. You know why? If you ask, right, what did the brothers do to Yosef? They caused him to become the viceroy of Egypt. They allowed him to be promoted to the highest position in the world. So in terms of action, did the brothers do anything wrong to Yosef? No. Because it turned out that what they did was wonderful. So what was the problem with what the brothers did? It's what their intention was. They didn't want to sell Yosef that he became the king of Egypt. They wanted to sell him that he became nothing. They threw him into the pit. They wanted him to be dead meat. They wanted him to be the janitor in Egypt. 
They wanted him to be, you know, the lowest of the low. They wanted him to be dirt. So in terms of what the brothers accomplished, in terms of what they achieved, they achieved only a good benefit. So why then were the brothers so shocked? Why were they so startled when Yosef said, I'm Yosef? Not because they did anything wrong, it's because of their evil intentions. It's like the guy who's eating McDonald's and it turns out that it's kosher delight. How many times can we mention Carlos and Gabby's, you know? It turns out it's kosher delight. But, so says, Abba Kain if the brothers couldn't respond to Yosef when the only thing they did wrong was bad intentions, all the more so, when God's going to ask us, you thought you were eating McDonald's and you did eat McDonald's. You thought you were talking during davening and you were talking during davening. You thought you were speaking Lashon Hara and you were speaking Lashon Hara. All the more so that what will our response be? Dumbfounded. We have nothing to say. That's the point of Abba Koyin Bardala. Because after all, says Rav Shleim HaKoyin Mivilna, the brothers did nothing wrong. The only problem with what they did was their evil intentions, their bad kavana, their machshavara. And even so, even though, you know, when, the bro- when Yosef said, I'm Yosef, so you know what the brothers should have said? You're Yosef. You owe us big time. When are you going to start paying us? You know, we promoted you to this position. We got you here. You owe us everything, you know? Everything you have is because of us. No, the brothers didn't have the chutzpah to say that. Because they realized, despite the fact that what they achieved was good, that wasn't their intention. And even when your intention is wrong, you still need kapara. So all the more so. If somebody tries to do an Avera and they actually accomplish it, when God is going to face us with, with that act, and those intentions, what will we respond? Okay? How do we know, Rabbi Sai? how do we know the brothers didn't actually do anything wrong? The only problem with what they did was their thoughts and their intentions. That's what Yosef tells them. In Parshish Vayichi, take a look at number four. Yosef tells the brothers, Biatem chashavtem alayra, you had bad intentions. Don't worry. Elikim chashavla God had good intentions. In order for me to be able to sustain this great nation. Yosef doesn't say, you, you did something bad to me. You, achieved, you accomplished something bad. Yosef says, you had bad intentions. In other words, the only problem with what the brothers did was their bad intentions. Rabbi Isai, how do we know that a person is punished for bad intentions? Right? How do we know that? How do we know? Imagine, you know, you think, you think that you're eating lobster and it turns out to be, you know, matzah on Pesach. How do we know a person is punished for bad intentions? It's a pasuk in Chumash. You have a lady, married woman, and she wakes up in the morning and she says, that's it, I'm never buying a pair of shoes again. I take another. I will never buy a pair of shoes again. And her husband hears, and he says, yeah, right, right? You're never going to buy it. And the halacha is, a husband could annul the vows of his wife. So as the wife is saying the neder, the husband says, mutterlach, 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 the, uh, the vow is annulled. So about 10 seconds later, she says, you know what? I just saw a really good sale on a pair of shoes. I can't, I can't with, with, uh, restrain myself. She, you know... She doesn't even have to go to the store. She turns on the computer. She already orders a pair of shoes. She broke her nether. The only thing is, little did she know, the husband already annulled the nether. So she thought she was doing an Avera, but it turned out what? She wasn't doing an Avera. Does she need kapara? So the Pasuk says, look at number five. If her husband annuls the vow. And the day he hears. Anything that emerges from her lips for her vow, it won't stand. Her husband annulled it. God will forgive her. Forgive her for what? For buying another pair of shoes? Her husband annulled the vow. Yeah, but she didn't know the husband annulled the vow. 
And if you think you're doing an Avera, even though it turns out you're not doing an Avera, you still need Kapara. Now listen to this. When Rabbi Akiva used to get to this Pasuk, he would always cry. You hear that? Whenever Rabbi Akiva would read this Pasuk, he would always cry. Why would he cry? Look at number six. Tan Rabban. Isha Haferam. Her husband annulled the vow. Vashem Yisachwa. God will have to atone for her. What is this talking about? Bi'isha Shehafer Labayla. This is talking about a woman whose husband annulled the vow. Vihila Yada. She didn't know. Hakasamadar. That's what the Pasuk is talking about. Shehi Tzricha Kafara Usricha. She needs atonement and forgiveness. It's a pasuk When Rabbi Akiva would get to this pasuk, he would cry. You know why? Because Rabbi Akiva said like this, if someone intended to eat a piece of chazer, and it turns out it wasn't chazer, it was kosher delight, you need kapara. So all the more so, someone who intends to eat chazer, and does eat chazer, all the more so you're going to need kapara. So Rabbi Akiva, no matter how many times he would read this Pasuk, he would always cry when he read this Pasuk. Why? Because you see the awesome Kayach Hadin, the Oymek Hadin, the profundity of judgment, the severity of judgment when Rabbi Akiva would read this Pasuk, that a person needs Kapara not just for sinning, but for thinking to sin, Rabbi Akiva would always cry. So the question we have to ask ourselves, is why didn't Rev Tarfon cry? Why didn't Rev Yehuda Hanasi cry? Why didn't Rev Gamliel cry? Why didn't Rev Meir cry? There are hundreds of Tanoim. Why specifically did Rev Akiva cry when he got to this Pasuk? Says the Gulyone Hashas of Rev Yosef Engel. The Gulyone Hashas tells us something very frightening. And that is, we know that the Asara Haruge Malchus. The ten martyrs were the Gilgulim, the reincarnation of the Shvatim. Right? We know, we read about them on Tishabav, we read about them on Yom Kippur. The Asara Haruge Malchus, the ten martyrs, were the reincarnation of the ten Shvatim. And of all the Shvatim, Rabbi Sai, which one was most responsible for selling Yosef? <coughs> Shimon. Shimon was the bad guy. That's why. Who did Yosef incarcerate? Shimon. Says the Zayar HaKadosh, says the Arizal, who was the Gilgal of Shimon? Rabbi Akiva. Now what did Shimon do wrong? What he accomplished? No. Because what he accomplished was very good for Yosef. Yosef became the Viceroy of Egypt because of him. It wasn't his act, it was his intentions. So when Rabbi Akiva, who is the Gilgal of Shimon, came to the Pasuk, that Hashem holds a person responsible for improper intentions, Rabbi Akiva would cry, because Rabbi Akiva realized that he would have to bear the brunt of the Mechiras Yosef. Says the Golyane Hashas. Rabbi Akiva was the Gilgal of Shimon. Shimon was responsible for selling Yosef. That is why Rabbi Akiva, of all the Tanoim, when he came to the Pasuk, Isha Hafeiram Vashem Yisachla, Rabbi Akiva would cry. Now let's talk about this idea in the halachic sense. We just learned that not only is a person not allowed to sin, a person is not allowed to think that they're sinning. How about... Can I cause you, not to sin, I'm not going to cause you to sin. Can I cause you to think that you're sinning even though you're not sinning? For example, let's take a look at the Gemara and Kedushin. The Gemara and Kedushin tells us about Rabbah Barav Huna. Rabbah Barav Huna, he was a young man and his father, Rav Huna, wanted to test him to check out his character. So what Rav Huna did was Rav Huna took his uh, silk garment or maybe he took his, uh, his son's, you know, favorite football jersey, and he tore it up in front of him. He wanted to see if he would get angry and maybe curse out his father. So the Gemara asks, how 
Was Rav Huna allowed to try to get his son angry? Maybe his son would get angry. His son would then curse the father. The son would violate the mitzvah of Kibar Ava'im. And thereby the father would be violating The father's causing the son to sin. Says the Gemara, no. We're talking about a case where the father was mochel the son. The father already forgave the son beforehand. In his mind, the father says, you know what, if my son you know, curses me, I forgive him. So in other words, the father is not causing the son to sin, because even if the son says something improper, the father had already forgiven him. Asks Toysus, very nice, the father forgave him. But the son doesn't know the father forgave him. So if the father is going to tear up the garment in the presence of the son, if the son is going to say something improper to the father, very nice, the son won't be punished for the act, because the father had already forgiven the son, but the son doesn't know that. So in the son's mind, he thinks he's doing an Avera. And Toysvis is Mechadesh, that we learned that, you can't even cause someone to think they're doing an Avera. You hear what Tosis is saying? Yeah? One more time. Tosis is asking, how could the father tear up the garment in front of the son, even if the father privately forgives the son, but the son doesn't know that. So the father is causing the son not to do an Avera, but to think he's doing an Avera. To which Tysus answers, you have to say, the father told the son beforehand, I forgive you if you say something inappropriate. So what do we learn from this Tysus? Not only are you not allowed to do an Avera, not only are you not allowed to think you're doing an Avera, you're not even allowed to cause someone else to think that they're doing an Avera. Comes along with Shlomo Zaman Orbach, and he paskins halacha l'maisa. Listen to this, an amazing case. Okay, if let's say a man and a woman who are not married, they can't be secluded in the same room. However, if the woman's husband is in the city, then it's permitted, because the woman is afraid maybe her husband will come in. So listen to this case. The man knows the woman's husband's in the city. The woman doesn't know her husband's in the city. So is the man allowed to go into seclusion with the woman? So we would say, of course, it's permitted. Yichud is permitted. Her husband is in the city, says Hashem Azam and Orbach, it's Aser. Why? Because since she doesn't know that her husband's in the city, so in terms of her mind, even though in reality she's not doing an Avera, but she thinks she's doing an Avera, because she doesn't know her husband's in the city. And therefore for you to be in seclusion with her, it's lifnei iver, loisitein michshal, on the iser of isha hafeiram v'ashem yislachla. I'll give you another case. Man and woman, they're secluded in the same room. The woman knows there's a back door that's open to the Rishos Harabim. Yeah? So then it's not yichud anymore. It's open to the Rishos Harabim. The man doesn't know that yet. The man doesn't know that. The man doesn't know that. Is the woman allowed to be miyached with the man? Says of Shalom Orbach. Even though you would say it's not Yichud, there's a door open to the Shusarabim. But since the man doesn't know that the door is open, not only is it prohibited for him, it's prohibited for her. Because she is causing him to violate this Isser of thinking you're doing an Avera. I'll give you another example that Shalom Orbach gives. You own a restaurant, yeah? You know it's kosher. You're the owner, you're the proprietor of the restaurant. You know it's kosher. You know you have your certificate from the VAD. But, you know, you didn't put it up yet. Says of Shomazaman, you didn't put up the certificate? Close down the restaurant until you put it up. Why? But you're serving kosher food. Yeah. But the people who are coming into the restaurant, they're not allowed to eat the food if there's no certificate up. So it's true it's kosher food, but as far as you're concerned, you're causing them to violate the Yisr of Isha HaFeiram Ba'ashem Yisachla. You're causing them to eat food that they're not allowed to eat. What do you mean they're not allowed to eat it? It's kosher food. Yeah, but they're not allowed to eat it because they don't know that it's kosher food. I'll give you another example. You know, you give someone Shalach Manas, and they say, um, you know, could you eat? Let's say somebody brings you food for Shalachma. Could you eat the food? You have to know who, who's giving you the food. If the person is not a reliable source, you can't eat the food. So let's say you know that you put cookies in the Shalachma. Pashka's cookies owe you 
badats, everything. The best hechsher. Yeah, but it's out of the package. You're not allowed to give it, Ashalachonis. It's usher to give it. Why? Because the person who you're giving it to is not allowed to eat it. Why can't he eat it? But it's kosher cookies. Because he can't eat it if he doesn't know what the hechsher is. What do you mean? But I know, I know what the hechsher is and I'm giving it to him. But you can't cause someone to eat food, even if it's kosher, if you're going to make them do something that they should not be doing, even though in reality it's okay. Only eight echanem misurin, only if it's a kosher aid. But if you don't know who the person is, oh, okay. so you don't know who he is. Yeah, yeah. So uh, if you know the person, so he has a cheskes kasha, stam someone who you don't know, then you have to do your due diligence, make sure this is a reliable individual. Okay? So this is a tremendous chiddush. Not only can you do an avera, not only can you think you're doing an avera, not only can you cause someone to do an avera, you cannot cause someone to do something that they would think is an avera, even though it's not an avera. He gives another example. You give someone fruits, let's say in Eretz Yisrael. You know you took off chumos and masros. If you don't tell him that you took off chumos and masros, you're not allowed to give it to him. Why not? But you took it off. Because since he's not allowed to eat it without ascertaining that you took it off, if, he, if you know he's not going to ask you, you can't give it to him even though it's kosher al Okay? Is the same thing as Maris Ayan? No. This is you... You cannot do an act that you think may not be correct, even if we find out afterwards that it is correct. You can't cause someone to do an act that you know is okay if you don't know that they know it's okay. Okay? That's part one of the shir. This is the concept of Isha Hafeiram Vashem Yislachla. Okay? Now we come to part two. And part two is a whopper. We come to one of the most cryptic, mysterious, challenging, difficult Arachayim in the entire Chumash. Says the Arachayim HaKadosh an amazing thing. In Parshas Vayichi, Yosef tells the brothers, he says, don't sweat it. Don't worry. First of all, you didn't do anything wrong because I'm the Viceroy of Egypt. But you had bad intentions? Yosef says, Bad intentions? Who's punished for bad intentions? God doesn't punish for bad intentions. You have to see the words of the Arachayim inside. Look at number 12. Atem chashavtem. Elohim chashava letoiva. God had good intentions. Says Arachayim, you know what this is like? This is like someone who tried to poison his friend. And instead of poisoning him, you gave him a cup of wine. Yosef tells the brothers, you're not responsible at all. You're exempt. You're innocent. Even through the hands of heaven. According to Arachayim HaKadosh, Yosef tells the brothers, not only are you not responsible for your actions, you're not responsible for your intentions. You're not responsible for your intentions. We just spent the first half of the year about how careful a person has to be not to have bad intentions. And not only that, if a person does something that they think is an Avera, you need Kapara. Right? That's why the woman who doesn't know that her husband annulled the vow, she needs kapara. That's why Rav Shama says you can't give someone food if you don't tell them it's kosher, even though it is kosher. That's why Rav Shama says you can't be secluded with a woman, even though you know her husband's in the city, if she doesn't know. And now, Yosef is telling the brothers, don't worry, don't sweat it, you're off the hook, you're innocent. Why? Because you only had bad intentions, and no one's punished for bad intentions? What the Arachayim HaKadosh forgot about that Gemara and Nazir, that Rabbi Akiva, every time he got to the Pasuk, he cried? Right, Rabbi Akiva Pashid cried when he got to the Pasuk, Isha HaFeirah Hashem Yisachla. Rabbi Akiva cried about the fact that Hashem punishes for bad intentions. And here, according to Arachayim, Yosef's telling the brothers, don't sweat it. You're only having bad intentions and God doesn't punish for bad intentions. And this is a question all the Achronim raise. In fact, in the footnotes on the Archaim HaKadosh, they write, a lot of ink has been spilled trying to answer this question. And that's the question we're going to deal with this evening. Maybe he was just like calming them down. 
Well, he's telling them, really, you're not going to be punished, but they're going to be burning in Gehenna for the rest of their life? They were, they were too excited. He said, you know, no, Yosef, uh, that's not a, that's Nechama Shel Hevel. Now, let's just take a little, little uh, break. Let's think for a moment. Okay, you ready for this case? This is a good one. Okay? This is really a good one. You have a woman, and she decides she's going to be Mazana. The only thing is, she's married. So she goes out, and she's Mazana. The only thing is, little did she know her husband had died. Her husband died. So now, when a woman who's married has a relation with another man, she becomes prohibited to her husband. She can never live with her husband again. She can never live with that man again. It's called Asr Labal, Asr Labaya. But here, she wasn't having an extramarital relation because her husband died. But she thought she was. So, obviously, she's no longer... We can't, we're not going to discuss if she permitted to the husband because her husband's dead. So, you know, that, that exactly won't work out anymore, right? Her husband's dead. But how about can she live with the person she had the relation with? No, she, she didn't live with him when she was married, but she thought she lived with him when she's married. So we would say, okay, it's bad to think that you're doing an Avera, but it's not actually going to prohibit you to the person you had a relation with. So actually we find the The Marid Paskins, a woman who lived with someone thinking she was married and it turns out the husband was dead, is usher to the Bayal. It seems like the Maharit holds, when you think you're eating Chazer and it turns out to be Kasher, it's not that God is punishing you for your bad thoughts. Your thoughts make it that you ate Chazer. If you think you're violating Yichud even though you're not, your thoughts make it, you violated Yichud. If you think, yeah, if you think you're doing an Avera, even though you're not, your thoughts make it that you did the Avera. We would have said, no, you're just being punished for improper thoughts. But the Maritz says, a woman who thought she was married and had Zenos, she's usher to this guy as if she actually lived with him when the husband was alive. That's a tremendous Kiddush. Okay. We're just getting started, yeah. Is it possible to work the opposite way too? That what? For example, like a couple of years ago in Mansi, a guy was selling the... No, there the guy thought it was trace? And all the people, they were thinking they were eating the glad kosher meat. So they thought it was right, but the guy was cheating and selling the wrong one. That's called the, the, an Avera. They did an Avera. Bainas. Bainas. They did it? It's an Avera. But it's not available for those people they eat Yeah, it is. Yeah, and they're bonus. Now they may not be punished for it. Now there's a question. Um, I believe the Prima Godim has a sefer called Tevas Goyma. And the sefer Tevas Goyma, the Prima Godim wants to know if a person eats treif and he did his due diligence and it turned out uh, he thought it was kosher, but it turned out to be treif. So you're not going to be punished. But the question is, is it metamte mislibai? Will it sully your heart? So that's a big question. Okay, let's... Getting back to the ranch. Comes along the Shalas Tshuva's base Yitzchak, and he says like this. If a person thought he was eating treif, and it turned out to be Carlos and Gabby's, so you need Kapara. You know why? Because even though Carlos and Gabby's may taste good, there is no mitzvah to eat it. Right? Despite the um, amount of Jews that do eat it, it does not say you have to eat it in the Aser Sadebrais. Right? It's not one of the Ten Commandments. So since it's not a mitzvah to eat it, so if you intend to eat treif, and it turned out to be kosher food, you need kapara. Because you didn't end up doing a mitzvah. Says the Beis Yitzchak, but in the case of the brothers, they intended to harm him. But what they turned out to have done was not a neutral thing. It was not a parav thing. It was a mitzvah. They allowed him to be promoted, to be the viceroy of Egypt, to be in a position to save the entire family. So here, since the outcome was positive, if the intention was bad, you're exempt from bad intentions. That's how the answer, that's how the Beis Yitzchak answers the Arachayim HaKadosh from the Gemara Nazar. Again, 
The Gemara Nazar says if a person thought it was treif and it was kosher, you get punished. Aye, so what's our Achayim HaKadr saying that Yosef tells the brothers, you're off the hook? The difference is, by treif meat to kosher meat, you, the result was not a mitzvah. But if the result is a mitzvah, you are not punished for improper intentions. Says the Beis Yitzchak, now I understand the psak of the lavush. Okay? Now this is definitely not for a general audience. Okay? This is really interesting. Okay, I'm a little afraid to say it. Okay, fine, I'll say it. You have a guy, he's married, and uh, his wife gets word that he uh, wants to have an extra marital relation. She had enough. So what's she going to do? Is she allowed to dress up as a different woman to live with the husband? This way, you know, get it off his chest. Now he thinks he's, he thinks he's being Mazana. Little does he know that it's his wife. Now if you think this sounds strange, Yishai's wife did it to him, the matter says. But that's it. So we would say, how could she do this? But this is what, this is what uh, Rav Shama Zaman Arbach said. You can't cause someone to do an Avera b'machshava. Says the Levush, it's mutter l'chadchila. It's permitted. It's permitted for a woman to disguise herself and make the husband think she's someone else to allow him in his mind. Why? Says the Beis like, how could this be? But the Gemara in Nazar says, if you think you're eating treif, Turns out to be kosher, you need kapara. Says the Beis Yitzchak, there's a big difference. Because if you thought it was treif and it turned out to be kosher, there's no mitzvah to eat kosher. But there is a mitzvah to live with your wife. So even though he thinks he's being mezaneh, but if the outcome is a mitzvah, and the mitzvah is he's with his wife, based on the Arachayim HaKadosh and Parshas Vayechi. Okay. We won't shtell on that too much. Well, let's move on quickly to something else. Okay. <laughs> the Marit who argues on the Marit, I believe the Shal Sechub is Mutzol Meyesh. Okay. Let's move on to the next answer. Let's move on to the next answer. Again, the question is, yeah, the question is that the Rachaim says, that Yosef tells his brothers that you're off the hook because the outcome was good and bad intentions, who's punished for bad intentions? So we ask, who's punished for bad intentions? The Gemara Nazar says, if you intend to eat treif and it turns out to be kosher, you're punished. Says the Pardes Yosef, you're punished. That's when you intended to do an Avera. You intended to eat treif. But let's ask the brothers, when you sold Yosef, did you intend to do an Avera? They would have said, we didn't intend to do an Avera. We intended to do a mitzvah. Because we paskind that Yosef is Chayev Misa. Why is he Chayev Misa? Well, Yosef testified about us, remember last week? That we ate Eber Menachai, and that we were Eber we Narayas. And therefore, what's going to happen? Yosef testified about us that we're Chayev Misa. So he is what is called an Eidzomei. And when it comes to a Nachri, when it comes to a guy, you, all, you need, all you need is one aid. So therefore, the brothers weren't trying to do an Avera. The brothers were trying to carry out the judicial process. Or according to the Svarno, you know what the brothers thought? The brothers thought that Yosef wanted to kill them. Because Yosef was going to go to Yaakov, tell Yaakov, all these sons of yours, you know, they're all no good. Yaakov would give them a curse. They would be banished from Eilam Haba. And that would be the end of them. So if you ask the brothers, are you trying to eat treif? Are you trying to do an Avera? The brothers would say, no, we paskin that Yosef is chayat misa. So says the Pardes Yosef, don't bring me the Gemara Nazir that says if you try to do an Avera, you try to eat treif, and it turns out to be kosher, you're punished. That's when you're trying to sin. <laughs> but the brothers, maybe they were wrong in their psak, maybe... They made an improper, maybe they were biased in their decision, but they weren't trying to do an Avera. They weren't a mechavein lara. They didn't have bad, bad intentions. So what are you going to get them for? The psak, the outcome of what they did, it was good outcome. 
You're going to get them for their intentions. Their intentions were also good. So therefore, says the Pardes Yosef, there is no question from what the brothers did to Yosef. Yosef says, you're off the hook. Because this kind of intention, you know what the Archaim HaKadosh is saying? If someone comes to poison their friend in a situation where they are a judge, and they think the person is Chayiv Misa, and instead of poisoning their friend, they give them wine, of course you're off the hook, even for your intentions, because you didn't have bad intentions. Give you another answer. The answer of the Arve Nachal. Okay, the Arve Nachal was written by Rav David Eibeshitz. No relation to Rav Yonis and Eibeshitz. If you look in any Shulchan Aruch, you have on the, a commentary on the Magen Avram called Levushe Sarad, written by Rav David Eibeshitz. Rav David Eibeshitz says like this, there is a difference between man and God and man and man. It means like this. If you're sinning against Hashem, in the eyes of God, your actions and your thoughts are equal. So if let's say, you thought you were eating treif, and it turned out to be kosher. So Hashem says, you need to be punished. So you say, punished? But I ate Carlos and Gabby's. So Hashem says, but you thought you were eating McDonald's. So what are you going to tell Hashem? Who cares what I'm thinking? Hashem knows what you're thinking. Your thoughts are revealed in front of God. And therefore, if you had bad thoughts, you will be punished for them. But if, let's say, you go to, um, you try to undercut your friend. You go to the boss and you say, this guy, I should fire him. The guy can't even hold a pen in his right hand. And the boss said, oh, he's a lefty? I needed a lefty. And the boss, you know, promotes him to vice president. So now what? The guy is going to have a taina on you. Oh, but you had bad intentions? The guy has no idea whatsoever what your intentions were. In the realm of man to man, intentions are irrelevant. They're insignificant. Nobody even knows what they are. When does the Gemara in Nazir say a person is punished for bad intentions? That's between you and God. But if it's between you and your friend, where your friend doesn't know about your intentions, you're not punished for bad intentions. Okay? That's the third answer. And finally, we're going to give one more answer. Yeah, it was Ben Adam Chavero. That's why Yosef is saying you're off the hook. Because you're not punished for your bad intentions. Okay? Okay. What? Who, the ten brothers? Yes. Okay, that's a good question. For that, they may have been punished for the not for what they did to Yosef, but for the Agmas Nefesh they called Yaakov, caused Yaakov Avinu. There's more to talk about that also. It's a very good point. Maybe we'll have to discuss that another time. But ultimately, they would have all died in famine, right? Had this not happened. So if you ask him, does this did this need to happen? He would have signed up for it, right? Okay. The next answer is a little lumdish. Okay? So get back into your yeshiva days for a few moments. Okay? Rev up the mind. You know, crank it up. You know, sometimes if a person doesn't uh, learn to think according to the lumdus of the Gemara, they could let their mind, you know, melt away. Even if a person's occupied in the most intricate things, you, a person doesn't really think until they uh, activate the lumdus brain cells. Okay? So get ready, for, uh, get ready for this. Right before you put on talis and tefillin, what do you do? Make a bracha. Before you sit in the sukkah, you make a bracha. Before you shake your lul of an esrit, you make a bracha. How about you're about to call someone on the, friend, on the phone, you say, you know, you're about to call your friend, could you please come over to my house for a Shabbos meal? Do you make a bracha? Baruch atah Hashem, lekeinu melchaylam, asher kedeshonu b'metzoyis v'tzivanu, al hachnosas orchem. 718-258-2356. You do that? No. Right? Or let's say like this. You're about to go into the guy's hospital room, before you open the door. Baruch atah Hashem, lekeinu melchaylam, asher kedeshonu b'metzoyis v'tzivanu, al bikor chaylam. You make a bracha? No, you're about to give the Ani money. Eh? Well, one second. No, you don't make a bracha. Why not? Says the Rashba, you know why not? Because when you're about to go into the hospital room, when the guy sees you, he may slam the door on your face. He may not let you in. So you can make a bracha. 
The guy might not let you into the room. You're going to make a bracha al orchem. Could you come to my house? No. So you made a bracha al It's not dependent on you. So to make the bracha afterwards, you can't, the, the bracha is lost already. So the Rashba says, you don't make a bracha on Bain Adam Lachavera. Right? You're about to pull out $10 from your wallet and give it to the Ani. You make a bracha, the Ani may say, 10 bucks? A guy like you? Wearing such a nice tie, 10 bucks? Get out of here. Yeah? So he may not accept uh, the money, so therefore you don't make a bracha. But the Rambam writes in Hilchus Brachos, Inexplicably, the Rambam says, you don't make a bracha on Bein Adam Lachavero. It doesn't tell us why. Another interesting thing, that Rabbi Yosef Engel writes, we had Rabbi Yosef Engel, he's the one who said, when Rabbi Akiva got to the Pasuk, he was the one who cried, because he was the Gilgal of Shimon. That's what he writes in the Sefer, Gilyane Hashas. He wrote another Sefer called Asvan Raisa, and Rabbi Yosef Engel says, listen to this, if a person puts on tefillin, does he get a mitzvah? No. You hear? I'm telling you a big chiddush. If you put on tefillin, you don't get a mitzvah. If a person sits in the sukkah, do they get a mitzvah? No. No. You know why? Because you first have to think, I'm doing the mitzvah of sitting in the sukkah. And if you don't think that, you don't get a mitzvah. To the point where Rav Shlomo Zalman Aurach wants to know, if let's say you sat in the sukkah and you didn't think I'm fulfilling the mitzvah of sukkah, maybe you get an avera of eating outside the sukkah. You hear that? That's what Rav Shlomo Zalman wants to say. We pass in mitzvahs trichos kavana. When you do a mitzvah, your mind needs to be occupied. You need to think, I am doing a mitzvah. How about if you're doing a mitzvah? Let's say I call up my friend. Could you please come to my house for a Shabbos meal? And you don't think you're doing a mitzvah. You get a mitzvah? Well, let's say you visit someone in the house and you don't think I'm doing the mitzvah. Says Rabbi Yosef Engel, you get the mitzvah. You don't have to have kavana when you do a mitzvah. You know why? Because when you pick up a little of an esrog, the mitzvah is that there's something magical, there's something mystical. You pick up the lulav, you pick up the esrog, and you shake it. So you need to be thinking, I'm doing a mitzvah. But there's nothing magical about calling up your friend and dialing the number. It's Hashem wants the guy to have some food to eat. There's nothing inherently holy about the act. The, the holiness is, if your friend has a morsel of food to put in his mouth, that's the mitzvah. So we could care less if you're having high kavanas, low kavanas, no kavana. Bottom line, you gave your friend food, you gave him food, you get a mitzvah. You don't give him food, you don't. Kavana is not required. Says the Sefer Klichemda in the appendix at the very end of the Sefer. This is something he forgot, was forgotten to put in the Sefer and all the way in the back of Sefer Devarim. He says that's why we don't make a bracha on a mitzvah. You know why? Because what's the purpose of a bracha? To supply kavana. But for Bein Adam Lachavero, you don't need kavana. So if you don't need kavana, you don't need a bracha. Why? Why don't you need kavana for Bein Adam Lachavero? Because the mitzvah is not the act. The mitzvah is the result. You don't need positive kavana for Bein Adam Lachavero. Okay? Allow me two minutes of pure lambdas. Okay? You ready for this? Somebody, you walk out of here. Somebody says... I want two minutes of lambdas. You say this over, okay? Here's the here's here's the the case. Someone eats a carbon pesach, but he doesn't think he's fulfilling the mitzvah of achilas carbon pesach. He doesn't have kavana to eat the carbon pesach. Are you yotze the mitzvah? No. What? Let's talk about matzah. Or let's talk about, um, yeah, let's talk about matzah or marah. Matzah and marah, you have to have kavana. If a person eats matzah and he doesn't have kavana, you're not yotzi the mitzvah. And yet we find that when it comes to achilas kodshim, eating karbanos, let's say a karban shlomim, a karban chatos, or the like, if you eat it without kavana, you're yotzi the mitzvah. Why? Says the Shas Tshuvas Beis Halevi. Just listen carefully to this, because when it comes to eating matzah or Pesach, you have to do it. So if you have to do it, you also have to think. But when it comes to eating kadshim, you don't have to eat the carbon. Any kohen could eat the carbon. The kohanim just have to make sure that it gets, it ends up being eaten. So when the mitzvah is the result, 
that it gets eaten, we don't care about your kavana. So when we talk about a mitzvah bein adam lachavero, right? Hachnas asarcha, bikor cholim, hachnas kala. Kavana is not needed. Positive kavana is not needed. Why? Because all we care about is the result. We don't care about your intention. Says the Sefer Klichemda. If positive kavana is not needed, then negative kavana is not harmful. Which means like this. That Yosef tells the brothers, Hey brothers, you tried to hurt me, but you didn't. So for the result... You're off the hook. And for your kavana, when it comes to Bein Adam Lachavero, bad kavana is not harmful. Because Bein Adam Lachavero, the focus is not on the act, the focus is on the result. That is the Chiddush of the Kli Allow me to end with the following thought that uh, you tell me if this is not one of the most majestic thoughts you've ever heard. And if it's not, don't tell me. Rabbi Akiva, whenever he got to the Pasuk of Isha HaFeiram, the Hashem Yisachla, whenever he got to this Pasuk, that speaks about how Hashem holds a person culpable and liable for improper intentions, Rabbi Akiva would cry. He would cry. Rabbi Akiva would cry? Rabbi Akiva should be the last person who would cry. Rabbi Akiva is the guy, he's always laughing, he's always smiling. When Rabbi Akiva is walking on the Temple Mount, remember? And he sees the foxes trampling on the Temple Mount, and all the other Tanaim, they're crying how the Temple is being defiled. And Rabbi Akiva is laughing, the Gemara Mako says. And the Tanaim say to Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva, why are you laughing? He says, why are you crying? He says, Cry, the, crying, the Temple is being defiled. And Rabbi Akiva says, that's why I'm laughing. Because if the Temple Mount is being defiled, and the prophecy of Uriah HaChiti is being fulfilled, then certainly the prophecy of Zechariah will be fulfilled, that one day, Zechariah was a Zechariah, that old men and old women and children will play in the streets of Yishalayim. So what all the other Tanam thought was tragic and catastrophic, Rabbi Akiva thought was a joke. Rabbi Akiva was a very happy guy. He was an upbeat guy. He was an optimist. He never cried. You know, the Yushalmi tells us, then when they were taking Rabbi Akiva out to be killed, and Tornus Rufus said, what are you doing? Why are you laughing? The Yushalmi says. Right, the Bavli just says that Rabbi Akiva was saying Shema. The Yushalmi says Rabbi Akiva was laughing. Tornus Rufus says, what are you so happy about? Rabbi Akiva said, now I finally have the opportunity to fulfill the mitzvah of loving Hashem with all your life, and I shouldn't laugh. Rabbi Akiva took the most tragic, catastrophic circumstance, and he laughed about it. And here, Rabbi Akiva comes to a Pasuk. And the Pasuk says, not only is Hashem hold a person liable for their actions, Hashem holds a person liable for their intentions. And all of a sudden, Rabbi Akiva, what's, he's like a, a different man. All of a sudden, he's crying. I don't understand. Rabbi Akiva laughed about everything. So I heard a thought from Rabbi Yonasan Sachs, the Rosh Hashiva of Beis Medish Lahaira. And he said the following thought. He said, most people, when they see tragedy, and they see the way Hashem runs the world, and they see maybe something bad happened to a good person, everyone's up in arms. How could that happen? What's Hashem doing? They question. They can't understand. They, don't, they can't comprehend. Oh, well, you know, I, maybe I should run the world. People have all kinds of questions. And when it comes to personal accounting, when it comes to introspection, when it comes to a person looking at themselves, ah, I came late to davening, oh, whatever. I didn't daven with kavana, okay, big deal. I didn't bench with kavana, fine. I wasn't careful in this halacha. People are very easy, easily overlook. They're mavater. They don't really pay close attention to it. They don't question themselves. They don't challenge themselves. Most people, when it comes to God, oh, all the questions. I don't understand the Holocaust, and I don't understand this, and I don't understand that, and why is Hashem running the world this way? And when it comes to themselves, they're very easy, uh, very understanding. They're very understanding. <clears throat> and Rabbi Akiva was the exact opposite. When it came to national tragedy, when it came to the way Hashem orchestrated the world, 
What all the other Amoram and Tanam were crying about, Rabbi Kiva said, it's not our world. Rabbi Kiva laughed. It's not up to me. It's not something that I could question. In the end, God will make sure everything turns out good. Rabbi Kiva had the attitude, Gamzu Lataiva. He overlooked. Rabbi Kiva sees the temple man defiled. He's laughing. Rabbi Kiva's life is being taken away. He's not sad. But when Rabbi Akiva sees that God holds a person accountable for his thoughts, that's something that's relevant to me. This is not me questioning God. We don't question God. God knows what He's doing. We let Him run the world. Everything will be okay. When Rabbi Kiva got to the Pasuk, Isha haferam ba'ashem yislachla. When Rabbi Kiva dealt with self-introspection, when it was relevant to his personal behavior, that was very serious to Rabbi Akiva. That is not a laughing matter. When it comes to Hashem's exacting demands of a person, then Hashem is looking not only at our actions, but Hashem holds us accountable to our thoughts, that Rabbi Kiva took very seriously. That's something to cry about. Tragedy? Rabbi Kiva says, we don't cry about tragedy. Maybe for a time, but not in retrospect. Hashem has His calculations. Hashem has His cheshvainas. But when it comes to how we have to live our life and the carefulness we have to have, that's a very serious matter. So if we, if we may add one point. Where did Rabbi Akiva get this from? To be able to look at the Temple Mount and laugh. To be able to look at his own life and laugh. Where did he get the strength? and the foresight to understand that ultimately everything will work out okay? So perhaps we could suggest a little different than Rabbi Yosef Engel. Rabbi Yosef Engel said that Rabbi Akiva was the Gilgal of Shimon. But does everyone agree to that? No, that's the opinion of the Zohar and the Arizal. Says the Shlach Kadosh, V'yesh mekubalim oimrim. In your last Maramakim, that Rabbi Akiva was the Gilgal of Yosef, says the Shla. Why is Rabbi Akiva called Yo- Akiva ben Yosef? His father's name wasn't Yosef. He was the Gilgal of Yosef. Rabbi Akiva being the Gilgal of Yosef, understanding that after 22 years wallowing in the pit and in the prison, he saw his elevation to the Viceroy of Egypt. And he saw firsthand, Atem chashavtem alai l'ra, velaykim chashavalatayva. He sees that when God orchestrates the world, eventually everything will turn out. Rabbi Akiva was able to look at the Harabayas, and while everyone else was crying, he had the attitude of Yosef HaTzadik, Elohim Chashava Litaiva Rabbi Have a wonderful evening.